Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. And it starts right now. everyone and welcome to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscabing and I've got three hours jam-packed worth of some great, great content this morning. Have a couple of great guests coming on this morning. At 8.15 I'll have Lou Bejak from the state coming on and at 8.30... We will have Alex Zeitlow on for the first time on the show from the Rock Hill Herald. He'll t- he'll come on to talk to us about some of the some uh, very uh, interesting and honestly, in my opinion, confusing uh, news that came out of the Rock Hill area the other day when it comes to Legion Collegiate. And we'll talk to him. We'll talk to Lou about it as well, how it affects Gray, how it affects Oceanside, and just how it will affect the entire South Carolina high school landscape now. Uh, But before we get to that, I'll tell you the full lowdown on that at the top of the second hour before Lou comes on. And we'll talk through we'll talk through all of that when he comes on, and in the second hour. Second hour will be focused on high school sports, but we will start things off this morning, as promised from last week. Talk about the NFL draft. Obviously, the first round happened last week, or excuse me. First round started on Thursday, and I talked through the. I went through the first round last week, talked about the winners, talked about some losers, but now we have the entirety of the draft. Everyone has picked all their players, and now we can really look and see who are the winners, 
who are the winners and who are the losers on the 2021 NFL Draft. As of right now, obviously, none of these guys have played any snaps yet in the NFL. And a lot of people say that, you know, you can't judge a draft class until years after the fact. But we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best right here to draft the, or excuse me, to grade the draft class of each team and talk about some highs, talk about some lows, and just give you an idea of what this may mean for the 2021 season. We'll start off with some winners, go to some losers, and then maybe work around to some other teams as well. Some of the winners, Baltimore Ravens, got, I would say, maybe you might have wanted to get one or two more offensive pieces, but they helped themselves out a lot. Drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. We talked about that last week. Ravens need some need some wide receiver help. Need to, you know, give Lamar Jackson a target. And they did just that with the drafting of Bateman in the first round. Drafted, also drafted Odafi Owa, outside linebacker in the first round. That's a good pick for the defense. Uh, you know, they don't need as much help on defense, but still good pick. In the third round, they picked offensive guard Ben Cleveland. I might have liked to have seen them go after a an offensive lineman earlier on in the draft, but still a good pick. It should help their 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 O line. Also in the third round, they draft Brandon Stevens, uh, cornerback, and then drafted Sean White, another cornerback, in the fifth round. So I'm. Uh, you know, they help themselves on both sides of the ball. They get what they need the most, which is wide receiver help and some offensive line help. I I like the draft. I I like the draft. I I like their overall draft. Ravens are definitely set up to be successful. Now, that's gonna the AFC North is going to be one of the toughest divisions in the NFL this year. Because outside of Cincinnati, who are still a few pieces away and are still technically rebuilding, you could theoretically make a viable argument for the other three teams to win the division. Now, whether I fully believe in one of them is a different story. We'll talk about that as the season gets closer. A lot of people are picking one team, but you could make a viable argument for all three. So a great, great draft for the Ravens. Still a few pieces away, and I don't trust Arnold. I don't. I, you know, all you Panther fans can can hate me all you want, but I'm from New York. I watched Darnold play 
the beginning of his career in New York. He's just not... Maybe it's the Jets' curse. Maybe it's the Jets' organizational organizational woes that hurt him. But he just hasn't impressed me. He hasn't shown me what you need. He hasn't shown me that that shows that he is a viable starting quarterback, especially not for a team that's looking to make the playoffs. So while the Panthers had a great draft, drafting J.C. Horn in the first round, Terrence Marshall Jr. in the second, Brady Christensen, which that'll help. That'll help offensive tackle. That'll help protect Darnell and and Tommy Trumbull, tight end. They got so they got a lot of good offensive help. Don't get me wrong. They got a lot of pieces to put around Darnell. But I just don't if they have enough. You know, they, they still have DJ Moore, they still have Robbie Anderson, which Darnell has a relationship with Anderson already. They were both in New York at the same time. And Panthers have to say they had one of the better drafts. Whether or not they did enough is the question. They they're one they had one of the best drafts. They're at the top. But I'm just being realistic in terms of their prospects. Moving on, like I mentioned, another team in the AFC North. This team, this is the team that everyone's saying, oh, they're going to be, they're going to be great. And they're going to win the division and they're the front runners. I say temper your expectations a little bit. This is still the Browns. I've said for years now, Browns are going to Browns. They somehow figure out a way. How many years now? How many years has it been now that we've we've heard, oh, this is going to be the Browns year? Oh, they've made so many amazing moves in the offseason. Oh, they've had an amazing draft. And then they're, you know, eight and eight or lower. It happens a lot. I I think it's happened every year for the past maybe <laughs> definitely half decade, and maybe even a whole decade. But so I just you know, yes, the Browns had a great draft. They drafted Greg Newsom in the first round, got Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in the second, linebacker, Anthony Schwartz in the third, another wide receiver. They have pieces. Don't get me wrong. They have pieces. I just don't know if it's quite enough. They're like the Panthers. They had a good draft. They're on the upside in terms of draft stock. But I just, 
they they they're gonna have to fight against the cur against the current. Not uh, not to mention the fact that they play in one of the two toughest divisions in the NFL. They're gonna have their work cut out for them. I a lot of people are picking them. A lot of people are picking them. And and if you disagree with me, call on in. 323-784-9681 is the number to call. Then never again, 323-784-9681. Call in. Tell me what you think. But I just just don't see it. Another team that had a good draft, Minnesota Vikings. Tackle. Got Kellen Mond in the third round, who he could, you know. I, I said last week I wasn't sure, you know, I was thinking that they should have potentially gone for a quarterback. And while they didn't go for him in the first round, they did. They do get Mond in the third. I don't know if he's quite ready to step in right away. They'll probably have Kirk Cousins stay in that spot for at least another year. But I but I I think Mond could be a good quarterback in the NFL. And then they got Chaz Surratt in the in the third round as well. The A or the NFC North is very intriguing this year for so many different reasons. Obviously, you have the whole Aaron Rodgers fiasco. But you know what? Since we're talking about it, let's talk about this whole Aaron Rodgers fiasco for a second. Rodgers, in in a leaked uh, group chat, presumably on Facebook or something, Rogers it made fun of uh GM Brian Gutnest and in, in a team group chat and called him Jerry Krause. For those of you who don't remember that was the uh GM for the Bulls in the 90s who notoriously like he didn't want to help Jordan, or that was the rumor. First off, I wonder, you know, I'd be very intrigued to know who who leaked this. And second, the saga just continues with with Rodgers and the Packers. Do I think it's fixable? Who knows? We'll we'll talk about the Packers in their draft, uh, what they did in the draft in a little bit. But is it fixable? Potentially. But I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is going to start somewhere else. Come, Come September, he will be in a different uniform than the Green Bay Packers. That's just my hunch. This is just, it's blowing up too much, and it's getting so vitriolic that 
don't see how it doesn't end badly if if Rogers isn't moved. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But like I said, Vikings had a good draft as well. Another team that had a good draft too to uh two NFC East teams that had good drafts and, and this is actually three NFC East teams that had good drafts. Uh and and you could even say the the Cowboys had a good draft uh as well. Cowboys um their uh Cowboys drafted Micah Parsons in the first round. They needed the, the help. They went all they went all defense, which is exactly what they needed for their first six picks. Micah Parsons, linebacker, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky, cornerback, Osa Odigizua. I'm probably butchered that name. Uh from UCLA defensive tackle. Chauncey Golston from Iowa, edge rusher. Nishan Wright from Oregon State, cornerback. Jabril Cox from LSU, linebacker. So those were, they had six picks in the first four rounds. Well, technically seven. Their seventh, they went with Josh Ball, offensive tackle from Marshall. Cowboys got a lot of help where they needed it. And I think it will help them a lot. Uh, Philly, or excuse me, I'll go to my New York Giants next. Uh, drafted Kadarius Tony in the first round, which is exactly what they needed. Uh, Aziz Ujulari, second round offense or outside linebacker. Got him. That's a good pick. Aaron Robinson, third round, cornerback. Good pick. The one thing that I will give them a slight drop on. Now, I'll I'll grade the Cowboys an A. Giants, I'm going to give them a B. I may even consider giving them a B- minus because I think one of their biggest issues that they need help with especially considering you want to protect your two-star players, is they need to get some offensive line help. Yes, they got Kadarius Toney, which is a great pick. It helps them on the receiving side. But I I would have liked them to get an offensive lineman or two. Now, if they go and and make the trade and get some more experienced offensive linemen, then great. But without that offensive lineman help, I think they're still a few pieces away from being a true contender in the NFC East. Philly. Philly goes gets Devonta Smith in the first round. Landon Dickerson in the second round, offensive lineman. Zach McPherson, cornerback in the fourth. And Kenny Gainwell in the fifth, running back. They they get some good pieces. They get some good pieces. And 
it helps out Jalen Hurts. They got the they got some offensive line help, and you know, I I think the Eagles are in a good position to be a threat. And Washington, Washington gets Jamin Davis in the first round linebacker, Samuel Cosme in the second round offensive tackle, Bayami Brown in the third wide receiver. I think they're still a quarterback away from being a legitimate threat. I don't. I, I just don't trust uh, the line. I, I just don't trust. Uh, quarterbacks in Washington, you know, looking at, looking at their depth chart, they've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, yeah, he did good in, in, uh, he, he did good in, uh, in Miami with the whole Fitzmagic and everything, but he's been a journeyman his whole career. He hasn't been, and, and who knows? Maybe they can pull an Eagles and and use him like the Eagles used um, uh, Nick Foles. You know, who Nick Foles, prior to going to the Eagles, was not a well-respected quarterback. But he turned it around for the, for the Eagles. Can Washington do the same thing? Maybe. But I personally, I don't see it. So they had a good draft. They had they got some good pieces. But again, I think they're they're a they're a quarterback away from being a legitimate threat in the NFC. So if I were to decide, if I were to give you my prediction for the NFC East this year. As much as it pains me to say it, I think I would have to say Cowboys top, Eagles second, Giants third, Washington fourth. Off the draft and off of looking at their their roster right now, and a lot of things obviously a lot of things can change over the next few months, but just. Just based on my interpretation of everything, that would be my thoughts uh, on the matter. And then one other, uh, one other up, one other team that I that I think won this draft. And then I'll take a break and come back, and we'll do the losers at the bottom of the hour. We'll go. We'll go the other way. We'll. We'll start bashing on some teams. The 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 winner or the other winner to me is back health. They get a good tight end that can be used as a checkdown for Ben Roethlisberger. They get offensive line help in the third and fourth round. And then they go defense and get some good pieces on the defensive side. I think the, uh, you know, Big Ben is nearing the end. 
you know, as is a lot of quarterbacks of his generation. But the Steelers are trying to maximize his last couple of years. And these are great moves. You know, we'll, we'll, we, we've been talking about Aaron Rodgers and how Green Bay, Green Bay has been botching it with him and trying to move on too quickly. Pittsburgh's doing it right. Pittsburgh's doing what they need to do. Draft, you know, drafting pieces around Big Ben that he needs in order to be successful. And they're showing that we still have faith in you. You're still our guy. And we're going to help you to hopefully win another Super Bowl before you go. And we're going to send you off into the sunset, sunset a champion. Now, whether or not they can do it or not, in a very strong AFC and look at, you know, look at all the other teams that are, that arguably, arguably are better than the Steelers at this point is, you know, do you, do I think they're going to be able to do it? Eh, maybe, maybe not, but are they set up in a position where they certainly have the chance to? Oh, without question, needed that they can move, you know, move into a better spot. You know, it's not like they have been bad. They haven't been bad by any stretch of the imagination. But whether or not they were ready to be able to, uh, move forward and and start winning more uh with a different question. So but they they definitely made some good moves. They definitely made some good moves in the draft and I think personally I'll ask Lou Bedjack because I know he's a Steelers fan what he thought about the Steelers draft. But in my opinion they they had a great draft. So those are my top teams that I thought had good drafts. Some better than others, obviously. Uh, but those teams I thought did well. I'll, I'll flip around and go go negative when we come back. Talk about some of the worst drafts uh, for for the 2021 NFL draft. And that's what we'll talk about at the bottom of the hour. Right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. As we transition over to the downside of the NFL draft. And as always, if you want to call on in, talk about the NFL draft, talk about anything else, talk some local news, talk some regional stuff, whatever. Be sure to call on in. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. And now we transition over to the not-so-great teams in the draft. And we're going to kick it off with a team that a lot of people... Think job, but I just there are two teams that a lot of pundits are thinking did a great job in this draft and and won this draft. But looking both at their track record and at their roster going into the draft. I just don't see it. And those two teams are the Bears and the 49ers. I I mentioned it a lot with the 49ers being confused about what they were doing with that third pick. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, first, before I get to the 49ers, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. The Bears trade up again for a quarterback, and this time draft Justin Fields. Now, a lot of people, you know, this isn't like a few years back when they traded up to get Trubisky, and everyone was confused because Trubisky was not on the top of a lot of people's boards. Justin Fields is. So I'll give them credit there. They went with the consensus pick. But I just feel like this is setting up for history to repeat itself. And on top of that, I mentioned this last week. I mentioned this last week when I talked about you already had Andy Dalton and Nick Foles on your roster. Now... Are are either one of them franchise quarterbacks? No. Are both of them getting up there in age? Yes. But you made all these moves. You signed both of them over the offseason. Or, excuse me, you signed Andy, Andy Dalton over the offseason. You you sign Andy Dalton back in March, and yeah, and everyone was thinking, okay, they're that's going to be their quarterback for now. And then you proceed to trade up to get a new quarterback. It's just really confusing, and and the Bears are in this weird paradoxical position where. Defensively, they look like they could be a team that could make a Super Bowl run. And you have a lot of great pieces 
on that team. But yet, offensively, it looks like they're in rebuilding mode. And especially in an NFC North that, at least in my opinion, seems wide open, I'm wondering how long it's going to be before things start moving in 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 another direction. Because I just don't know if you know I, I just don't know where this team is going. And and other other pundits have even talked about it, you know, about guys like Khalil Mack wanting out of Chicago. And I think he should. I especially you know you know, maybe you know, have a little bit of patience. See what happens this year. See what happens this year with the Bears. But if the Bears continue down this weird trajectory that they're on, if I'm Khalil Mack, you're not exactly getting any younger. You know, he he's now he's now thirty. He's he's you know right at or maybe a little past his prime. He's still a good player, don't get me wrong. But now's the time that you want to say, okay, I want to go to a champion. I made my money. I had, I got the, the max contract and all of that. Now I want to go win a Super Bowl. And I'm just being, I'm being perfectly blunt here. He's not going to win a Super Bowl in Chicago. Even if Justin Fields pans out, but here's the weird thing too. Especially if Aaron Rodgers moves on. Especially if Aaron Rodgers moves on from Green Bay. The NFC North is wide open. Barring maybe maybe Detroit. But even Detroit, you know, they have Jared Goff now, who I've said before, I think Goff is a better quarterback than... Matthew Stafford. But even, you know, even looking at their moves, you know, they get some offensive line help with Penai Sewell. They get defensive line help with Levy Onwo Zarek and Ellen McNeil. You know, they got some pieces. You know, they 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 got it. They 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 got uh, some pieces that they needed. Now, will it be enough? No, probably not this year. They're in a good position, at least in my opinion, to potentially be a threat in the NFC North. The NFC North is one of the most intriguing divisions going into the 2021 season. But we'll see. We'll see. I, but like I said, I think the Bears, in spite of everyone saying, oh, Justin Fields was actually the right choice this time, 
I just feel like it's gonna end wrong. It's gonna end badly. I just feel like it's gonna end badly for the Bears. There are certain teams that are just so mismanaged that they could pick. They could. They could have pulled the Patriots and and picked Tom Brady in the sixth round of a draft and. Instead of Brady being the GOAT, he would have been a nobody. A little bit there, because Brady, I think, could have won just about anywhere. But he does, you know, you can only, in, in football, you can only do so much as an individual. But now, let's switch over to the other team that also picked a quarterback in the first round. And what what makes even less sense to me about this pick is what they're saying about their quarterback situation now in San Francisco. I'm talking about the 49ers, by the way. So you trade all of this draft capital to move up to, to, to the third overall pick. Specifically, originally everyone thought it was going to be for Mac Jones. It ended up being Trey Lance, which I predicted. I was right there. But, and, and everyone thinks, okay, this is because you've done me and you're probably going to trade him and get some pieces for him. I disagreed with the move. I thought they should have stuck with Jimmy G. You know, Yes, he had a poor Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but he still led you to the Super Bowl. I don't get what this thing about the 49ers and moving on from quarterbacks so quickly, especially because, well, I, actually, I think I kind of do get it. You know, there are certain franchises. San Francisco is one. Denver is one. We'll talk about Denver in a little bit. Uh there are certain franchises that because of their history with quarterbacks in the past now are trying to find that diamond in the rough that's going to be their next in in San Francisco's case their next Montana and as soon as the current quarterback shows any inkling of weakness or any inkling of not being absolutely perfect, they they cut they cut his legs out from underneath him and they cut the cord very quickly. We saw it with Alex Smith, we saw it with Colin Kaepernick, uh and now we're seeing it with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not I, I personally, I'm just gonna say right now, I would not want to go to San Francisco, and I feel bad for Trey Lance for what he's being thrown thrown into. But what makes it even more confusing is it would be one thing if that was the plan that they're saying, okay, you know, Jimmy G had his opportunity. We think he failed, even though he got us to a Super Bowl. And now we're moving on. But no, this makes even less sense now because they're 
going to, apparently, reportedly, going to have Jimmy G start for the next year or two, still, keep him in, on the roster, and slowly transition to Trey Lance. So then if you're going to do that, especially because, you know, while while good quarterbacks aren't a dime a dozen, every year you get a new opportunity to find that diamond in the rough. Every year you have these top name quarterbacks coming out of get coming out of college into the NFL draft. Yeah, well, but it see here's why I would have picked someone else. Going to stick with Jimmy G. You're gonna continue to have him be your quarterback for the next couple of years. Why not draft a skill position player there, or an offensive lineman? Give Jimmy G the pieces around him that he needs, and see what happens. See if he can lead you to another Super Bowl. See if he can maybe get over that hump and even win you one. And if he does, great. You have your quarterback. And you just ride him. If not, and you struggle like you did last year. Now, granted, last year was not because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Last year was because of injuries. Jimmy G was not in was not in the game for the majority of the season last year. So if if it doesn't pan out and you struggle, then either A you already have a top draft pick as a result of your record or at the very least you can just do what you did this past year. You could trade up yeah, you're giving up more, but you know if it doesn't pan out, then you can go get your quarterback. But I just I don't get why they did this. Okay, at all. So San Francisco definitely down. Another team, and, and I just mentioned it. Another team, and I ironically. They're a team that does need a quarterback, and yet they choose not to go after the quarterback. And that is that is the Denver Broncos. Right now, you've got Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterbacks. Drew Locke is most certainly not the quarterback of the future in Denver. And yet you don't draft a quarterback in the first round? Or in the second round? Or at all during the draft? I don't get it. They go after Patrick Sertain. That's that's a good move for your your defense. Get Javante Williams running back. It that'll help Drew Locke. But I why uh, unless you're trying to wait and see and trying to set up a deal to get Aaron Rodgers or get another quarterback. 
but there aren't really many quarterbacks on the market right now. You know, you may, you know, if you want to go try to get Aaron Rodgers or if you want to go try to get Jimmy Garoppolo. But I just don't see it. And why would you take that chance? It's it's funny. Denver went from throwing everything at a dartboard for a quarterback and hitting a lot of times but not getting the 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 perfect quarterback for John Elway and and you know throwing away a lot of good quarterbacks as a result then you stumble upon Peyton Manning you get lucky that Peyton Manning wants to come to Denver win, you win a Super Bowl with him but now ever ever since they've had bad luck when it comes to And now, in this draft, when you're thinking, oh, they need a quarterback, they don't go after one? I don't get it. I don't get it at all. They're definitely a loser. Like I, uh, Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, his team currently, the Green Bay Packers, they're another loser. Yet, now, yes, they did finally, finally draft a wide receiver in the first round. Or, not in the first, not in the first round. They should have drafted a, a wide receiver in the first round. But they finally draft a wide receiver in the draft. And that is Amari Rodgers. Were they just doing this just to kind of troll Aaron by saying, okay, we're going to draft someone with your name? I, I, like, it just, uh, it just baffles me, baffles me what's going on in Green Bay. Yeah, you get Amari Rodgers, who do will be good in the NFL. Don't get me wrong. But I just think it's a little too little too late for that relationship. Now, again, I could be wrong. In, in a way, I kind of hope I am wrong. But do I think I'm wrong? Probably not. Whether or not they're gonna, they're able to repair the damage with Aaron. I have no idea. I kind of hope, in a way, that they do, just because I want to be able to say Rogers to Rogers. You know, it's always fun when you've got a quarterback wide receiver combination uh, that have the same name. It's like, you know, it's not. It wasn't the exact same name, but when when uh, Manningham was on the Giants. And it was Manning to Manningham. You know, that was fun. That's the that sort of thing is always fun. And now the big question is, will it happen? I'm leaning towards no at this point, but you know, that's that that's something to be uh uh paid attention to over the summer. Uh, another lose, uh, another lost team. Uh, is uh, is the Saints. You know they got some good pieces. Don't get me wrong. They they got some good defensive pieces, but they they might have been able to uh, 
you know, they should have gone after some skill positions to help out a breezeless offense. You know, we'll see how the Saints do this year. I think they're still going to be competitive, uh, but especially after Atlanta had some moves, I think, uh, I think it's definitely, you know, the Saints are going to take a bit of a downswing. Uh, Atlanta's going to have an upswing. Uh, and Tampa Bay, I think, is still the cream of the crop uh, in that division. Uh, so that's just about it. Those are my winners and losers for the NFL draft um, this year. I think that after this draft, there, there are certainly a lot of intriguing storylines. Uh, throughout the league. But uh, now the question is, where where do we go from here? Um, and, and are those teams able to do what, what they need to do in order to have those players that they drafted be successful? We'll have to wait and see. So that'll just about uh, do it for this hour. Um, I'll take a break in a little in just a second, and then come come back, talk some high school news, uh, give you a few high school uh, notes, uh, and then come back and. Um, and we'll have Lou Bejack coming from the state coming on at 8.15. So next hour, we'll be focused on high school sports. Uh, so be sure to stick to, stay tuned and stick it right here on Sports Unlimited on Sports Central. Hey, yo. You ready? Let's do it. All of a sudden, 
Got a problem with me, black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat. And you know what? For some strange reason, I'm off of this medication, feeling deranged, needing for y'all to put the word out. We ain't leaving. We trying to be rich before we all stop breathing. Therefore, we kind of hustle lame. Stay laying down our muscle game. Still turn your dreams to flame. You got the wire? If not, I ain't saying no name. You soon expire. No pain. I feel remorseless. I'm close with me and Diddy up first. Raising pulses with the big twin valve exhausted. On the cover of your vibe. Double like sounds and sauce. Come here. Go where? Notorious, be everything still glorious. We still got warriors, still be the victorious. See, it's a lot of them, but it's more of us. Still got cash to blow, wraps to flow, steal them, catch the know, pack the flow. That's for sure. The pop, the rock, play the background, hand them a shot, hold them a money to get, cost to flip, love it, place nothing above it. It's on like that. Don't believe we ain't going like that. We're always going to be here. We there. Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central at the top of the hour at 8 o'clock. In 15 minutes, we'll have Lou Bejack from the state joining us. And with that, I'll transition over to uh, some high school news and talk primarily about the big news that came out the other day. Legion Collegiate leaving the SEHSL, joining the North Carolina Independent School Association, Athletic Association, the NCISAA, next season will be a provisional member for two years. They've felt unwelcome in the SEHSL for their entire time, their last two years, uh, well, their first two years in existence, both in the SEHSL. They filed a lawsuit against the league. a few years ago, I think either last year or two years ago, uh, in regards to a rule passed, uh, forced transfer players to sit out a year, like in college. Uh, they've been, you know, a lot of people have, you know, have been against them that they essentially recruit because they're able to draw players in from other areas and they don't have to abide by, you know, 
the, the players aren't forced to go to certain schools based on geography and whatnot. Uh, and so they're saying, okay, enough of that. Uh, we're moving to another league. Now, the big question I have, and, and I'll ask both Lou and, and Alex Zaitlow about this, uh, get their thoughts on it, is I, I'm not quite sure how exactly this is possible uh, with Legion being a South Carolina school, uh, how they're able to move into a North Carolina Athletic Association. Um, but we'll we'll get all those answers in just a little bit. Um, the other two uh, charter schools in the state that are run by the same overall uh, charter school system, Gray Collegiate and Oceanside Collegiate, who have also been under heavy uh, criticism for how they've uh, handled things and whatnot. Uh, They both have said that they're staying in the SEHSL, that they're not going anywhere. Now, it would be a little trickier for Gray Collegiate or Oceanside to move to another league in another state because Legion is right is basically right on the border with North Carolina. So maybe that's why it's a little easier for them to do. But it's still a question that needs to be answered. So we'll uh that's something we'll be talking to Lou Bezek about and uh and Alex Zaitlow as well. Uh, that's what I have Alex come on primarily for. Explain everything, talk about how this move came about and, and all of that. Uh, some other news around the state. Speaking of Great Collegiate, they won Region 3 2A uh, last night, or the other night. Um, so they've clinched, and they will move on to the playoffs in baseball. Brendan Marshall... Marcel stepped down as the head basketball coach of Lugoff Elgin, um, apparently moving to Greenville. His wife got a job opportunity out there, so they are moving. We'll ask ask Lou about that, what he uh, what he thinks about that, and and where where they go from here, both in terms of Marcel, where he goes, and then also what happens at Lugoff Elgin. Coach Kerwin from Liberty won his 300th career win in baseball. Congrats to him. Uh, Some week one football matchups were announced. Swansea will face off against Airport. Battery Creek will go up against Thomas Hayward. Somerville will face off against Westside. Great Collegiate will face off against Camden. Chester will face off against Union County. And Bluffton will go up against South Florence. That should be a fun game. Two uh, two PD teams will be facing off against two loco teams uh, in week zero. And with Bluffton facing off against South Florence and Wilson facing off against Hilton Head. So those two matchups should be fun to watch uh, and see how that, how that works. More than likely the... Uh, the Region 6-4A team will win because 
we've seen in the past that the matchup between Region 6 and Region 7 and 4A oftentimes skews heavily towards Region 6 because of the power of the entire region. Uh, Chase Smith has announced that he's transferring from from Blythewood to Ridgeview. That's going to be a big addition to the for the Blazers. Uh, that's something else I'm going to ask Lou about what he thinks, uh, how that's going to impact things uh, for the season on both fronts, for both Blythewood and Ridgeview. Some recruiting notes uh, for this week. Matthew Williams from Crestwood was offered by Campbell. Jacoby Henderson from Catalba Ridge was offered by Miami, Ohio. Will Daniel from First Baptist was offered by Wofford. Michael Kennedy from Southside Christian was offered by Campbell as well. Jaden McGowan from Lawrence had a big week, was offered by Harvard, Middle Tennessee State, and Old Dominion. Reggie Bennett from Trinity Collegiate was offered by Akron. Ashton Whitner from Greenville was offered by Syracuse. Colin Bryant from Wando was offered by Alabama. Trace Danley from Dutch Fork was offered by Tennessee Tech. Devin Hyatt had a big week from Dutch Fork, offered by Tennessee and West Virginia. Lenora Sellers from South Florence was offered by App State and Georgia State. He keeps on getting offers. On the basketball court, Noah Clowney from Dorman was offered by Tennessee. Perry Smith from Legacy Early College was offered by Hofstra. On the women's side, Joyce Edwards from Camden was offered by Northeastern. Caden Arnold from Myrtle Beach committed to Furman. And on the baseball diamond, Zach Cohen from Blythewood committed to Wofford. We, I tried to get Cohen on the show this week but he was not able to do so, but we've already scheduled him in for next week. So be sure to uh, tune in then for me talking to him. He'll talk about his commitment, his, you know, the whole recruiting process. And also that will be as we head towards uh, playoffs. Playoffs? We talking about playoffs? Yes, we're going to be talking about playoffs talk about baseball playoffs next week uh, as the last games actually no I take that back the the regular season will be over by Friday of next week um, so that should be that should be a lot of fun talk to him about how his season went talk about the playoffs all of that good stuff and speaking of baseball playoffs as we are about seven minutes away from Lou Bejack joining me. I'll talk about uh, Region 6-4A, and I I talked about it last week, but the chaos continues. Not all that much of chaos. Um, Pretty standard week, but still keeps the potential for chaos there. Uh, and next week, especially, um, we'll talk to Ian Guerin. Unfortunately, was not able to get him this week, but we'll talk to him next week about how this all panned out. But the two Florence teams are still tied for two losses. 
North Myrtle Beach and Hartsville are tied for third with three losses. Myrtle Beach has now been mathematically eliminated after being swept by South Florence this week. Uh, And that, but in a way, well, it would have made things even more interesting in terms of the series with North Myrtle next week if Myrtle Beach was still in contention. But at the same time, it's kind of, it makes things more interesting in a way because Myrtle Beach, they're mathematically eliminated. They're not going to be able to make it into the playoffs, but it's still the rivalry. So Myrtle Beach, if nothing else, they're saying, okay, let's finish off the season strong and let's play a spoiler because North Myrtle could theoretically still miss the playoffs. Yes, it's unlikely, but could still happen if they lose. Theoretically, I think even if they only lost one game, if Hartsville sweeps, more than likely they will next week. And I think if if West and South split, then... North Merle is on the outside looking in. So right now, so, you know, tonight, Wilson is playing Hartsville, and West Florence is playing Darlington. So barring a, a crazy upset, which would throw everything out of the loop, more than likely Hartsville and Darlington, or Hartsville and West Florence will win. They keep everything where it's at. Next week, Myrtle Beach plays North Myrtle Beach in a home-and-home. West and South Florence play in a home-and-home. And And Hartsville and Darlington play in a home-and-home. And so that... The the big matchups, at least for me, and, and like I said, you know, if if... Wilson or Darlington are able to win tonight or Darlington is able to beat Hartsville next week or Myrtle Beach is able to beat North Myrtle throws everything into a crazy spiral. But right as of right now, in order to get in, North Myrtle Beach needs West Florence and South Florence to split and Hartsville to lose at least one while North Myrtle Beach in order to be region champions. So they need a lot of help. West Florence and South Florence, basically if one of those two teams sweeps the series, they're the region champions. If they split, then it gets a little more complicated. Hartsville just needs to win their games. and Or, actually, I think if Hartsville just wins out, and what, yeah, if Hartsville wins out and, and West Florence and South Florence split, then Hartsville is region, region champion. But there are a few other, um, there are a few other possibilities. There are a few other different uh, scenarios that could throw this all into 
a chaotic mess. And while it's fun to theorize about and fun to talk about and not it's uh I'm sure it's nerve wracking for the, the players involved. That is for sure. Uh but it's fun to talk about. This is the fun the, this is what makes sports so much fun is these types of situations, these types of uh, scenarios and, and the craziness of the end of the year. You know, I remember a few years ago in the MLB that that last day of the season with so many different scenarios possible and you were just on the edge of your seat all day waiting to see, okay, who wins this game? Who wins this game? Who wins this game? It could end up being that way on the last day of the season next week. You know, could very well be. And that's going to be a fun thing to keep an eye out for uh, and to see what happens. As we have hit the... 8.15 marked, waiting on Lou Bezek to join me this morning. Uh, we'll talk to him about some different things this morning. Get his thoughts on uh, on a couple of different subjects. And then at 8.30, we've got Alex Vitlow from the Rock Hill Herald joining me talking primarily about the Legion Collegiate move and what that what that will entail and and how it will um how it will impact things. Uh following that may have a few more notes uh to talk about in the in the bottom of the hour for the last fifteen minutes or so for high school. Then for the final hour, we'll talk about, we'll go back to some more national news, talk uh, talk about some college news, and actually might talk about the college news at the bottom of the hour, uh, if I've got time. And then a big MLB news that came out yesterday, some NBA news, some some NBA talking points. And then a big NHL story that we don't really uh, don't get to talk NHL all that often, but I will uh, I will talk some NHL later on this morning. So uh, if you're a fan of hockey, keep it tuned right here for that later on as we uh, still await. Lou Bejack from the state joined me. Uh and seeing when when he uh when he arrived. But yeah, the you know baseball season is coming towards a close. We've got uh we've got the other spring sports finishing up. Let me first real quick let me just say congratulations to Riverside for winning the 5A girls lacrosse 
uh, state title. Uh, congratulations to Bishop England for winning the 4A girls lacrosse state title. J.L. Mann won the 5A boys lacrosse state title. And Bishop England won the the 4A boys lacrosse title. Weird. And I guess it's because of different teams and whatnot. Um, and just the way the bracket was made. But Bishop England was in the upper state bracket in the girls lacrosse, but in the lower state for boys. So lacrosse doesn't have nearly as many uh, teams as uh, as all of the other sports do. So it's kind of, that's the reason why you get some of these wacky, uh, wacky regions and, re- and wacky uh, classifications. Soccer playoffs have started. Uh, and already we're headed towards the semifinals. On the girls' side, Dale Mann and Nation Ford uh, moved on. Dale Mann winning 3 nothing last night over Clover, and Nation Ford winning 4 nothing over Blythewood, still faithful for the upper state title. And on the lower state, River Bluff beat Wando last night 2-1. And Carolina Forest, for the first time in program history, moves on to a lower state championship, winning 2-1 over White Knoll last night. And we do now have Lou Bedjack joining me. Lou, good morning. Good morning, Brandon. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, first, before we get into the big news, that happened earlier this week. Uh, headed into the final week of the baseball season, any big region battles in the Midlands right now? Uh, we got one uh, region five three a. Um, we got four teams within um, two games of each other, but uh, everything could be decided tonight. Um, Gilbert leads uh, the region. Gilbert and Strom Thurmond are, are tied. For the region lead at seven and two, Brooklyn Casey six and three, and Fox Creek is five and four. Fox Creek's pretty much eliminated. Um, if Brooklyn Casey wins, or if Gilbert and Strom Thurmond each win tonight, the, they'll be the two playoff teams, and they'll meet I think Monday uh, for the playoff to determine the region championship. They'll have an actual play-in game, determine the region championship. Um, they're not going to do a tiebreaker. They're going to actually decide it on the field. So uh, Brooklyn Casey, who was the number one, I believe they were uh, number one at one point this year. So they might be uh, on the outside looking in uh, tonight. If they don't get some help, they need Fox Creek to beat Strom Thurmond tonight or um, Swansea to beat Gilbert, which is pretty much unlikely. Fox Creek's their best chance, and uh, we'll see if that happens tonight. On the uh, on the football field, Chase Smith moving from Blythewood to Ridgeview for a senior season. How much do you think this is going to help the Blazers and hurt the Bengals this year? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, he didn't <laughs> have a huge year last year. I mean, uh, he 
Blythewood uh, had some quarterback issues last year with um, um, Angelo Donato moved in, but they didn't throw the ball that well last year, so he didn't have a lot of opportunities. So we'll see. Uh, Ridgeview needs some needs some playmakers at receiver. Uh, they, their their best uh, receiver, Jordan Smith, graduated. Um, so I think it will help them uh, give them another playmaker at receiver. And um, anytime you got a kid transferring within five minutes of the other school, I mean it's it will be interesting when the two teams play since they are in the same region and that and. Um, there is a little history um, there, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it will help Ridgeview a little bit. Uh, Blythewood's going to have uh, – they definitely got a lot of questions coming in, especially at um, uh, who's going to be the quarterback and, and at receivers. So uh, it should help Ridgeview um, offense. Uh, for on the, uh, on the basketball court, Brent, uh, Brendan Marshall is – Stepping down as the head basketball coach over at Lugga Felgen, um, how what was the reaction from the from the school and where are they? I'm assuming they're in the process of looking for his replacement at this point. Yeah, they've posted his job already. So, yeah, I mean, he tried. To, he did a decent job in his two years. Uh, it was tough this year. Um, number one, they moved in a region with uh, AC Flora, Irmo, Westwood. Um, really, really tough region, and Dreer Dreer's going to have a new coach next year uh, as, as well with Coach Jarvis stepping down to become the school's AD. That was announced this week. So uh, Marcel, he'll he'll go uh, he'll end up on the staff uh, in the Upstate uh, somewhere. Is his wife his wife got a new a job opportunity up there, so they're going to move back. And he's from as far as uh, he coached up in the Upstate. He was at Dorman for a while uh, before he um, came with to Lugoff. I don't think he'll end up at Dorman, but he'll end up at, at somewhere uh, coaching up there. And the the big news that came out uh, the other day on Wednesday is Legion Collegiate moving out of the SEHSL, moving to the NCISAA. How, first off, how does that even work with them, with Legion, Legion being in South Carolina? How are they able to move to a completely different state athletic association? I mean, it happens. I mean, Westminster uh, Charter, uh, Westminster uh, up in Rock Hill, they, they're a private school and they, they, they compete in, they're in South Carolina, they compete in uh, the North Carolina private school. We have that here in Skiza, Augusta Christian. Uh, they're, they're in Georgia, but they're in Skiza. And there's a, a few other schools um, in Savannah area that uh, competed in Skiza. Um, they, they visa, so it happens. I mean, as long as you get the approval, um, I think it's been uh, they, they've had a tough go up there. As far as um, definitely, not, they didn't make uh, friends with uh, the, the schools around. I, I don't think any of the schools in except Catawba Ridge would schedule them. So scheduling was definitely a problem, um, and the, you know the perception that they're they're, they're recruiting their other kids uh, in that area. So they won't be tied now into uh, a zone because uh, right now they were, I mean, in the, when, in the high school league, they're basically your kid, their kids had to live pretty much in the South point zone unless they had like uh, approval or um, as far as bona fide change of address. Now, I mean, a kid could live anywhere and go to Legion and play and 
um, built now that they're in uh, North Carolina, the private school league. So they, they could pretty much uh, live anywhere and uh, they won't have to worry about attendance zones. And I mean, they'll be able to, there's it that way, Providence Day, Charlotte Christian, Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot more opportunities for scheduling and uh, so, some good competition. And I think eventually maybe the, the basketball team might, might want to play like a national schedule type uh, for the program they're building. Uh, they should have a really good team this year with a few transfers that they got coming in. You, you mentioned, you know, some Georgia schools being in Skiza. Why not go to Skiza? Um, well, number one, it they are uh, Skiza schools are they're private schools, and these Legion, Great Collegiate, Oceanside they're they're public they're public schools. They, they people think there might be private schools, but they're funded by the state. I mean, they're they're state charter schools, so they're, they're technically not private schools like the other ones. I don't think Skiza would be on board. I don't think they would have accepted them, but but we we'll see about that. North Carolina. Their private schools accepted Legion for whatever. I think they wanted to expand a little bit, so um, get another team in there. So, um, yeah, I, I think Skiza wasn't an option. I, I talked to uh, uh, Great Collegiate, uh, the people over there. That, that wasn't an option. And um, I talked to the people at Skiza, and they, they were never approached by any of those the three to um, join uh, the Skiza League. You mentioned uh, Gray Collegiate, and and you also have Oceanside uh, down in Charleston that are all under this banner. Uh, do you think this is going to have any impact on those other two? I know Gray already said that they're committed to staying in the SEHSL, but is, is this going to have any impact on the other two collegiate schools in the state moving forward? No, I don't think so. Gray is they're not moving anywhere. Oceanside's they're not going to move anywhere. It wouldn't make sense as far as from Muscala, they to join North Carolina's private schools. Like I said, Skiza, I guess they could if they wanted, but I don't think Skiza would have taken them. But I think they're fine way they are. They, they have some issues. There are some. Uh, there's one school district here in the Midlands, um, pretty big school district that will not play great collegiate at all in any sport. They already they've made that known for the last couple of years. So. Eh, they have their challenges, but they they seem to be willing to uh, work around the challenges and uh, find games and um, continue to build their athletic programs. Great College has been pretty successful, obviously, in basketball, uh, winning a bunch of state championships. Baseball team's really good this year. Um, I think a girls' basketball team's going to be one to watch with uh, Ashley Bruner now at coach. So, uh, football team's uh, been really good the last few years as well. So. Just a matter of Legion Collegiate never, um, like I said, didn't have a lot of support, and it, and rightfully so. I mean, I think schools thought they were going to be losing players, and we, we've seen it up here, players um, transferring from wherever in the Midlands to, to go to Great Collegiate as well. So um, I think uh, the Rock Hill schools were a little tougher than the ones here in the Midlands, so I think that would prompted Legion to leave. Has the league said it? Has the uh, SEHSL said anything about the move? Is this going to impact anything for anyone else, you think? No, I mean, the region uh, for next year, obviously, because it was already said they'll have to work around that. You'll just have one less team in there. Um, it's I don't think it will have that big an impact. Um, 
I mean, realignment, like I said, you won't have that team to worry about. Um, it would have been interesting to see what classification they would be in anyway. I think they would um, probably be around 3A uh, there um, for the next realignment, but we won't know. Oceanside right now is 3A, Great Collegiate's 2A. Um, I think there, there's been a push for them to make, maybe for them to move up in classifications if they would have done that, um, like with the success on the postseason and that, but uh, yeah. to determine realignment. But that's not going to be a factor, really, in determining the next realignment. Well, thanks a lot for joining me this morning, Lou. Well, we fun talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Brent. Okay. Talk to you next week. That was Lou Bejack from the state. Always fun talking to him. And he brought up some good points. Ask, I'll ask Alex Zeitlow about some of those other questions uh, that I had as well uh, when he comes on in just a little bit. Um, who He should be joining me any minute now. So I'll take a quick break, and then we'll come right back uh, with Alex Zeitlow from – oh, actually – He's calling in right now, so I'll just transition over. Alex, how's it going this morning? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, big news this week, obviously, um, being Legion Collegiate announcing their plans to leave the SEHSO after a very tumultuous relationship with the league. How long has this been in the cards and how did this decision come about? You know, Brandon, that's a, that's a good question. That's a question. That was one of my first questions that I asked leading collegiate athletic director straight Heron when I could get on the phone with him, his phone was, as you could probably imagine, was blowing up um, after the announcement that they were voluntarily leaving the league. Um, uh, the short answer is that they had been kind of meditating this plan to exit the South Carolina High School League around Christmas time a couple months ago. Um, at least that's what he told me. If, but if you're asking me, Alex Zetlow, I think that this move had kind of been in the back of their heads, honestly, um, really early on in their two-year um, existence. Uh, Legion, Legion has, as you mentioned, has had a lot of informal obstacles that they've had to kind of navigate, one of which is schools didn't want to play them. They didn't schedule them regularly. Another is that um, they could, it was hard to find athletic facilities for them to train in in Rock Hill, um, the straight a couple but like when they first started straight asked all of the York County school districts if you could use, you know, their football stadiums to play in their soft like softball stadiums to play in baseball stadiums to play in. And all four local school districts said no that they couldn't. Um and so those were like those obstacles were like early and often if you kind of are picking up what I'm saying. But then mm-hmm. also on the then also on the high school league side, there was early issues, not just with this formal lawsuit that I assume we're going to talk about at some point, yeah. but I mean, there was also, you know, um, smaller things like, I, I can't remember the details of it, but uh, the, the high school league had 
the high school league and Legion like butted heads early. And I think that their decision to ultimately leave was kind of, um, how you say, a death by a thousand cuts as opposed to uh-huh. one huge thing happening. Yeah, it definitely seems like this has been going on for a while. And like you mentioned, I get since you brought it up, let's transition over to that lawsuit. Um, how much did that – how much do you think that played an impact on things? And what happens to that now that they're leaving the league? I would assume it doesn't matter anymore. So is it just dropped, or do they continue with it? So – the lawsuit, so Legion was just, Legion Collegiate was just the plaintiff in the lawsuit. Uh, they were one of a dozen or a dozen plus schools to be within, within that lawsuit. And oh, okay. I don't want to, so I don't want to say anything that's untrue. Um, but as far as, but the, so, so Legion was just one of several schools to join in a lawsuit against the South Carolina High School League, stating that, um, Amendments that were passed last year by the executive committee by the executive committee um, essentially illegally discriminated against um, public charter schools and private schools in South Carolina. Now that Legion is leaving um, the South Carolina High School League, I don't know how this I don't know how this you know legally affects Legion like the school in Rock Hill. But because Legion is a public charter school, but I do know that um, it's no longer on the forefront of their minds. Um, and, ju- and just to be clear, a Richland County judge ruled that, or um, basically said that those amendments couldn't go into effect for the 2020-21 school year, just so, just for full disclosure. But yes, yeah. so um, I think the lawsuit, I, I. I honestly am not as um, – I probably need some some lawsuit documents in front of me uh, in order to kind of art- clearly articulate it. But as far as how this affects Legion, this is no longer on the forefront of their minds. Uh, you mentioned uh, that – well, first off, that whole rule that they came up with um, – you know, it, it's one thing when it's in college, but for high school, unless you're going to reclassify, it it really puts you behind the eight ball because there is no such thing as redshirting in right. in high school. So it, it it would make things a lot trickier. Um, they're moving to the North Carolina uh, Independent School Athletic Association. How exactly does that work? Like, so do borders not matter when it comes to high high school affiliations? That's a that's a terrific question, um, and and one that I'm still not a hundred percent sure how to answer. One, it is there is evidence of other schools from yes. South Carolina to compete in the. Um, NCISAA, one of which is Westminster Catawba, which is um, it's a small Christian school in Rock Hill. They play in the NCISAA, um, but they've been around, as um, a lot of community members have told me, they've been around for like 200 years. And also they weren't 
a, a huge athletic school um, for a really long time. And just it wasn't until recently that they got really good at basketball and became like this regional basketball power. So, um, but, but yes, they play in the, the North Carolina private league largely because of um, geography because Rock Hill is so close to all these Charlotte schools and kind of farther away from the other private schools, which are largely in, you know, uh, other parts of the state like Columbia and so on. So, um, but, but this, but Legion is a public charter and they were built for athletics. Um, they, They had a clear emphasis on athletics since their inception and that's part of the reason why the community alienated them. Rock Hill loved its sports. Rock Hill particularly loved its football. And Legion kind of came into Rock Hill and said, hey, we're going to hire these three legendary coaches, Bobby Carroll, um, Jimmy Wallace, and Straight Heron, and um, three guys who have all had success at South Point Northwestern, um, and and, which are two of the three Rock Hill high schools, the, the third of which being Rock Hill. But th- they came in and said, hey, we are going to build the beginnings of what could be, you know, this national athletic school, kind of like an IMG, if, if you will. Yeah. But, like, so, so they came in and they were like, hey, guys, we're going to do this. And in order to do that, we need – and the community was like, okay, well, how are you going to get the athletes? And the community kind of – like kind of saw the writing on the wall saying, oh, my goodness, they're going to try to, you know, this is what the community perceived. They're going to try to suck up and saturate all of the athletic talent and, and take the best from Northwestern into Legion and the best from Rock Hill into Legion and so on. So um, I, it's not – and so – and then they kind of said, okay, they're recruiting. And then it became this whole thing, um, and that's kind of where the community – alienation started um and so that and so and so that is kind of your frame of reference when you're talking about this um so i say all that to say that legions um going into the north carolina private school league is a lot different than westminster catawba going into the or staying in the um north carolina private school league um now, there are just a lot of questions surrounding as well, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, Brandon. This is just oh, no, interesting. No. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but uh, one one really interesting thing that I think was going to be kind of your follow up to that question was: Legion is a public charter school, therefore they receive South Carolina taxpayer money per pupil to um, to fund the school and the school's operations. Now that they're competing in North Carolina, uh, are South Carolina taxpayers still going to fund their, mm. you know, athletic, their gym, their weight yeah. room, uh, their school building? That, those are questions that hopefully we'll have answered um, at their press conference on Monday. And, and another question that I had and, and kind of goes along with that is, and I know that, Things are a little different in South Carolina as compared to North Carolina and whatnot. But and you kind of answered a little bit already. But why not Skiza? I did not hear your. I did not hear the first part of your question. Can you repeat that? Sorry, Brandon. I I, I just asked. You know, they 
you know, I we you you mentioned it a little bit earlier on with travel and whatnot, but why not move? Why not move to Skiza? Oh, I see. Um, man, I think I think a lot of it has to do with geography. I mean, you Rock Hill is fiercely independent of Charlotte. If you call it, you know. Uh, a suburb of Charlotte, Rock Hill people will get really angry, as they probably should. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a fiercely independent town, and it's in York County, and it's been established for a really long time. However, its closeness to Charlotte and its closeness to just, like, a huge hub of really good athletics is is probably really compelling. Um, plus, I don't think Skiza is at the same athletic prestige as the NCISAA is. I think ultimately that has a lot to do with it as well. Because with a school like Legion, who has these huge dreams and and is already seeing some fruit or bearing some fruit when it comes to their baseball team and their basketball program, um, those are two. Those are two programs that the NCISAA, like Charlotte has them a plenty. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I think that Legion's future goals better align with going into the North Carolina League as opposed to the South Carolina League. Yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. Moving forward in terms of now looking at the SEHSL, do you think this is going to have any impact on the league moving forward in terms of how they decide to allow, assuming that, you know, because this does seem to be that the the wave of the future of these charter schools, you know, the, the potential of another charter school popping up, let's say here on the Grand Strand or something, you know, would they – kind of second guess whether or not to allow them into the SEHSL. That's another good question. I can't, I am not in the minds of the executive committee committee members. I will say that the executive committee, it appears did not want or was hesitant of allowing Legion into the South Carolina high school league to begin with. Um, as you know, the executive members, when when Legion first applied to get into the South Carolina High School League, the executive members tabled the decision, and then they ultimately denied the decision. Legion actually had to go through the SCHSL's appellate committee in order to get South Carolina High School League membership. So there's that bit of evidence that there's already a little resistance to public charter schools. I will also say, and this is, and this is more speaking as, this is more, um, there's, this is a little bit less substantiated, a little bit more Alex Zetlow talking and kind of taking a look, kind of taking a broad look at um, public charters and how they kind of fit into this South Carolina high school landscape. I really think that it shouldn't be overlooked that. Legion is in the middle of Rock Hill, a town called Football City USA, and or a, a town dubbed Football City USA because yeah. of its, you know, 
football talent. Um, and they made their football program a really big deal. Um, and, and they made, and they want to make their football program a really big deal. I'm not sure that other schools say a gray collegiate or say an Oceanside. I'm not, I'm not convinced that they had as much resistance coming into their communities as Legion did coming into Rock Hill's community. And I think a lot of that can be, can be kind of boiled down to the football thing um, because of that. So I think it's, I think Legion is certainly an example that public charters already are, if, if you're a public charter trying to get into the South Carolina High School League, you're kind of already climbing uphill. But I think Legion, for like a few subtle, in a few subtle ways, had like a steeper hill to climb than most public charter schools, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a little bit of sense. Although I have seen plenty of discussion um, around with Gray and Oceanside, especially Oceanside, um, with their posting of um, of kids signing uh, to play there, um, and and a lot of people getting mad at that as you know, essentially making it seem like they're you know like a signing day type thing to sign yeah. with Oceanside. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook got very uh, upset at those pictures that the Oceanside Collegiate uh, Athletics page posted on Twitter a few, uh, like about a month back or so. Uh, but you mentioned you, you mentioned the other schools in the Rock Hill area a lot and, and their resentment towards this. Are they worried that this move is going to make things even worse? Because now Legion is basically going to have carte blanche to do whatever they want. Um, I, I'm not, again. I, I would assume that this definitely changes the playing field, and now and now Legion. Now, if I now if I'm a prospective athlete. And my goal is to play in college, no matter what, no matter like at what level. I just need, I just need sports to get me into college. Um, I don't know. I I want. I would. Per, I personally think that Legion is a more attractive school to do that now, um, because they're playing in a really. They're they're playing really good teams in North Carolina. Um, anyone in South Carolina, any like it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in South Carolina, you can attend Legion now. Um, so yeah, as far as are they worried? I'm I'm I don't think so. I think that it's probably less worry and still you know resentment and and you know words that you said earlier. Um, but you're right. It is a really interesting. It is a really interesting dynamic now that they're out of the South Carolina high school league. While they were in the league, those Rock Hill schools had a say about Legion's fate. And now that they're not, there's they kind of have less control. 
Um, but um, I think I think it's really I think one thing that's really interesting that you brought up is this is this idea of we are high school athletics when it comes to these public charter schools are turning in to is kind of turning into mini college or really early college athletics as yeah. you said with oh I'm going to Oceanside um, uh, respect my decision you know those uh, those um, I don't want to say cookie cutter Twitter posts, but yeah. they're they're all kind of similar. Of oh, I'm going here. Oh, respect my decision. Um, 100% committed. You know that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I think I think I think that like this kind of tension between public charter schools and traditional public schools is a narrow look at a broader conversation about what high school sports is and what role they should play in, you know, communities. For a long time, if you grew up in Chester County, South Carolina, you would play for Chester High School or Louisville High School or Great Falls High School. And now if you can, you know, move a couple miles away and play for a 5A school that's a lot, that has better resources, better facilities, or better yet, don't even have to move, and you can still get all these benefits, with the goal of advancing your athletic career, that's that's just a huge change in high school athletics. That that you know, it, it's just a huge change. And whether it's good or not, change always comes with conflicts. And so I think that that's kind of I think I think at the core of this tension there's there are two factions one faction that's just like we are going to embrace the fact that high school athletics is turning into a pre-college and there's people who are kind of against that and saying wait no you should represent your community you should you know you shouldn't you shouldn't just be able to go to where you want to go for high school athletics and um, I'm, I'm not articulating this argument well, but maybe you can, Brandon. I, I think oh. you feel what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, I feel exactly what you're saying, and I'm, I'll actually give you a good comparison, and, and maybe this will give you a good idea. They're kind of getting a culture shock of what a lot of other areas in the country already know about, because mm-hmm. I grew up in Jersey, and if you played – caliber football out of middle school, if you were a good football player out of middle school, unless you went to, unless you were in a town that already played good football and was in the top division in the public schools, you were often going to Don Bosco or going to Bergen Catholic or going to Patterson Catholic. You were going to go somewhere you were going to go to one of the private schools that you knew you were going to get the best recognition and the best training and the best everything. And so, and it was just kind of something that you knew everyone knew was going to happen. Everyone knew while, yes, they weren't technically recruiting, you know, looking for the, the top athletes in the area, you know, Everyone knew it was happening, but it was just kind of, it was the way things were. 
And the public, I think the difference is that for so long, the public school league has been the top league and the the one that's gotten all the recognition in South Carolina. And Mm. now that these collegiate schools are coming in and taking over, while being in the South Car- in the high school league in the public league, instead of being in Skiza, which has always been kind of the the little brother or the the lesser you know association, mm. now they're getting fearful. Whereas in other states, you know, like in North Carolina or Jersey or New York or basically any anywhere else in the country, with the exception of maybe like Georgia and Alabama and Texas, uh. They're the top athletes, and the public schools, for the most part, you know, are the guys that just want to play just because, and you know, aren't the top athletes in the state. Right, and 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 I understand that that model, just to, just as you say it, but I think I think you can also understand the the fearfulness of going to that kind of model because, well, I don't exactly, I don't exactly have, I'm not armed with a great like answer why beyond waxing poetic about the beauty of high school sports and the, and the greatness of public high school sports. I mean, I mean, high school sports mean something in Rock Hill and South Carolina and and, and they, and they do in other parts of the country. I'm not saying that they don't, but public high school sports mean um mean a lot i mean you have generation you have generations of of athletes through different high schools i mean in in the rural in the more rural parts of the areas i cover it's not uncommon for a grandfather a father and then the son to all play you know great falls football mm-hmm. um and I mean, I think I think there's something to be said of that meaning something, and I think that has something to do with the fear of going to this. You know, if you have college dreams, let's go to this public charter. Let's go to this private school. I, it it seems like, and this argument has been going on when it comes it's to a, college as yeah, well. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. it, it's oh, it, it's been there for so long, and it's built a lot over the last few years. Um, when it comes to college, too, like with with talks about like the the G League and stuff like that for the NBA, uh, talking about the difference between oh, going to college and getting an education and all that, and that's one of the big uh, things a lot of people have been against when it comes to the NIL stuff is that aspect as well. Uh, but, you know, may, maybe, it's, like I said, I think it's the fact that people in other areas of the country who have experienced this already kind of know that that's the way things work elsewhere and aren't as uh, culture-shocked as as people around here are because they haven't seen it before. But I, I understand why they don't like it, uh, but obviously you're still going to have the players uh, who want to go to these public schools, play play for these public 
possible. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, get turned out uh, when it comes to all of this. Before I let you go, uh, we're in spring. We got baseball season right now. Uh, what's going on? How are the playoffs looking for the Rock Hill teams? Well, the playoffs are looking great. It's funny that we talk about Legion. I would say that I would – this is Alex Detler's opinion. I would say that Legion is probably the best baseball team in the Rock Hill area right now, at least the best mm-hmm. baseball team that I've seen. Um, and I've seen all four Rock Hill teams play. and I've seen pretty much most of York County, Chester County, Lancaster County baseball play this year. And I would say Legion is probably the best team has the chance to go farthest in the South Carolina High School League um, playoffs. Could you imagine if Legion wins a, a state championship in baseball and then they're just like, all right, peace, we're going to we're going to North Carolina. Like that would be that'd be really interesting. That would be really funny. Yeah. Um, but, but Legion looks good. They're led by um, two really good arms in Xavier Pelzer and Joey Holinsky. They, I mean two dudes that can just really throw it. Joey Holinsky told me that he has a splitter, which he called this like his forgotten pitch, which I found really interesting. Um, but that's just, that is like way esoteric knowledge. Um, <laughs> talking a little bit more, <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know why I kind of went down that road, but Legion's really good. Um, Northwestern is, has, um, is already in the playoffs. Uh, Rock Hill will not make the playoffs. Will I, South Point will not make the playoffs. I'm pretty positive. Um, I every week we print region standings in our newspaper, and I'm pretty sure that um, South Point is was not did not earn a playoff berth the last time I wrote that. I apologize for not knowing that off the top of my head, but um, I think I think the top teams that you're going to find um, in the end are Nation Ford. They just squeaked into the playoffs after beating rival Fort Mill last week on Friday. Nation Ford's got a really good program, and then Legion, and then Northwestern. If you if you need to know three teams from our area, um, those are the three that I would expect to kind of go deep in the baseball playoffs. Um, and so yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens. This is actually the first time I'm covering high school baseball come playoff time because I've been at my job for about 19 months, 20 months going, it's about to be two years. And, you know, the first spring season was foiled by coronavirus. So I'm, I really love being, there's nothing better than watching a baseball game and calling it work. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I, I agree. I completely understand that. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, ben, a thanks lot for joining me. A lot of strikeouts. What? Uh, I said a lot of strikeouts in high school baseball. Oh yes. Oh yes. Not too many home runs. Yeah, not too many. <laughs> but ben, thanks a lot for joining me, Alex, this morning. Lots of great insight on everything going on with uh, Legion. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show again. Yep. Once again, that was Alex Zeitlow from the Rock Hill Herald. And, yeah, 
Before I take a quick break, let me just say, you know, for those of you, and I'll talk about it a little bit when I get come back from the break. Um, for those of you who don't know what what this world is going to look like with, you know, schools and stuff like that, it unfortunately your your top players who don't have a big uh, a big connection. Now, granted, the 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 town that I grew up in in Jersey was very small, and and football in Jersey is not like or sport athletics in Jersey are not like athletics here in South Carolina. You know, where even the smallest team in in the state can have a few Division One caliber players. But it was a very small school. You didn't hardly have any, you know, I think I had maybe like 200 kids in my class. So that, it's not like in, you know, in South Carolina where it it was a school that was not, I mean, it was good in football for its region or for its division, but it was not, you know, a, a top top program. So any kid who actually wanted to go play football or play basketball um, would go and and play it, go to a private school, and that's just the way it worked, and you kind of understood that. So. It didn't. It didn't impact the fandom of the team. You know, the kids that wanted to go to, to, you know, the local high school. You went there and you rooted for that team. Simple as that. But I'll take a quick break and come right back. Have uh, have a few other notes uh, to talk about this morning. Uh, switching back to the national side right now. Uh, talk about a few other things. Talk some MLB. Talk some NBA. Uh, and talk a little NHL a little later on. So stay tuned right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
like a rock star Spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar Baby's got a habit, diamond rings and Fendi sports bra Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car Got no stress, I've been through all that I'm like a Marlboro man, so I kick on back Wish I could roll home back to that old Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing. have about a little under an hour left to go on the show. And if you guys have anything you want to call in, talk about, be sure to do so. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll national news, talk about the NFL draft. But now we switch over to some other national news. First, big MLB news this week. Yes, that came out yesterday. Albert Pujols released by the Angels. He was designated for assignment. Uh, but a lot of speculation going on. You know, he, he mentioned already earlier this year that he was thinking about retire that he was planning on retiring after this season. And it looks like now this is still speculation at this point on my part, but it would not surprise me at all if he retires at this point. And I, I meant I've mentioned it before um, on this show about him. It's very disappointing to see such an amazing career, a Hall of Fame caliber career, end in such an inauspicious way. In such a just, you know, basic way. Uh, you know, he he was a great player and, you know, Definitely, you know, what's crazy, too, is that this was the 10th year that he was with the Angels. It's still amazing to me to think that he's been with the Angels for a decade. And what's even crazier about it is that I believe, and, and give me a second to check this real quick. But he was well. No, he was um, he was with both teams for the just about the same amount of time. He was with St. Louis from 2001-2011, and he was with the Angels from 2012 to 2021. So he was with the team for about the same amount of time. But still you don't even really still think of him as an angel, even after being with them for a decade. He is known primarily as a 
Cardinal. And he's been, you know, and most of his top years were with the Cardinals. And so it's it's just it's still weird. Um it, it's still very disappointing that he you know he had such an inauspicious end to his career. And not just in you know, a lot of players their last year or two when they're really on the decline, they're you know, they uh you know they they're not themselves, you know, obviously. But for pool holes I think it's a little different because this has been going on for almost a decade now. You know, when the when the Angels traded for him, uh you know, you were Angels. And now granted, the or excuse me, when he signed with the Angels, um he was a free agent that year. Um but when you know, when he went to the Angels when he signed with the Angels it was like, Oh my god, this may turn the Angels around and granted this was still only a few years after the Angels had made the World Series. Um, so, you know, they... You were thinking, oh my God, the, the Angels are going to be great again. But it never really panned out. And even with, you know, Mike Trout next to him later on, they just could not get anything going. And as a result... Pool holes kind of went into a little bit of obscurity, and it's just, it's very disappointing that that's the way his career more than likely comes to an end, where no one really you know, especially after Mike Trout came around and he stole the spotlight in L.A. when it came to the Angels, you know, no one really talks about pool holes anymore. You know, yes, you'll talk. To about him as one of the best players of the 2000s, but that's the thing. He's talked on the same level as, you know, a Barry Bonds, um, you know, Jeter, A-Rod. You know, he's talked about in, you know, Griffey. He's talked about in those terms uh, as an older player playing. What? You know, I'm sure if you said to a casual MLB fan who hasn't really been following for a long time. If you said Albert Pujols just retired or just got released by the Angels, they'd probably say, he's still playing? I thought he retired years ago. And that just shows how much his, you know, his legacy has fallen. He's still going to make it into the Hall of Fame. He's still one of the best players of all time. But it's it's just still very disappointing to see that, you know, fall from grace for him. But, you know, congratulations on a great career, even if the second half wasn't nearly as good as the first, Albert. Uh, NBA news now. Uh, 
And this one is a doozy. Uh, and and say what you want, say all you want about him complaining, him only saying this, uh, him saying him only saying this now because they'll be playing in it and whatnot. But I agree with with LeBron James earlier this week. He said, whoever came up with the play-in tournament idea should be fired. And I, compl- I could not agree with him more. I'll talk about this more in depth as we get closer to the play-in tournament. But, and, and I, think I, I think I might have mentioned this back in October when, we, when I was talking about the MLB playoffs. But playing tournaments should be considered just that. And I and I don't know what the I don't know what the league is officially going to say about this. What the official ruling will be on this in terms of what teams can claim and whatnot. But Especially for a team like the Lakers. Now, granted, the Lakers, they're not going to really want to celebrate this anyway if they don't win. But for situations like the play-in games, for like the wild card playing games for MLB, or in this case the play-in tournament, for uh, for the NBA. Now, granted, the fact that they're calling it a playing tournament leads me to believe that they probably are going to do it the right way, and they're not going to have they they they're calling it a playing tournament. So, if you lose in the playing tournament, you didn't make the playoffs, or at least I would hope that's the ruling. But I'm just gonna say right now. For me, the league says, I don't care what teams say, I don't care what anyone else says. If you lose the play in, in your playing game in the play in tournament, you did not make the playoffs. I don't care if you were a seven or eight seed. You did not make the playoffs. Yeah, it sucks for you. And that's why I don't like the concept. But it is what it is. And it's the same thing with the wild card game for baseball. If you lose that one game, wild card game, wild card game, you did not make the playoffs. Simple as that. I don't care. Oh, it's technically considered part of the playoffs. No, it's not. Yeah, maybe it's tech, maybe on a technicality it is. But it's not. It's simply not. Pure and simple. If you do not make the... If you do not win your play-in game and make it into the regular playoffs, you did not make the playoffs. Pure and simple. I don't like it. I don't like the play-in game. But I'm just saying, if it continues, that's the rule. 
Simple as that. A couple of college notes real quick, and then uh, we'll, and then I'll take a break and do my final big talking point of the morning for the final half hour, uh, and then we'll, and then wrap things up. Uh, college notes. Uh, the basketball rules committee is considered considering a number of rule changes that they'll actually they're deciding on them today. So we will have a an announcement later on today on what they're recommending. But they're considering widening the lane to the NBA whip, six fouls per player split into two halves of three. Two timeouts in the final two minutes and quasi-quarters with them resetting the fouls after 10 minutes. Also considering allowing the offensive team to decline free throws in the final two minutes and overtime, eliminating the five-second rule. And, and eliminating the five-second So let me go through all these real quick. The widening the lane, I don't like it. Keep it unique to college. Keep keep the unique college lane. Now, the only reason why I may kind of like this is for ease of creating, you know, it, it doesn't make it as awkward if you're creating college teams on NBA 2K. That's, that's really my only real reason why I'd say go for it. Uh, but otherwise, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, Six fouls per player split into two halves of three. If you want to expand to six six fouls, fine. So be it. You know, go ahead. But the two halves of the the two halves of three and the the confusing uh, the confusing rules on like. You only get one foul in the first half. You still have five left in the second. But if you foul, if you if you get three fouls in the first half, you foul out. That doesn't make any sense. It 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 doesn't. Just have it six fouls, straightforward, and just leave it at that. I don't get how hard that is. Uh, two timeouts in the final two minutes. Again. I don't necessarily like this because if you don't use your timeouts earlier on in the game, why are you going to – two things. One, why are you going to basically – well, two contradictory ideas here. First off, why are you going to punish a team for playing well and not needing to use a timeout? Firstly. And second, I understand why they're doing it. They're doing it to try to speed up the game. But in the process, it's probably going to slow things down overall because teams are going to use the timeouts in random times throughout the game just so they they don't go to waste. If If they're going to lose them anyway, they might as well use them. You know? So, yeah, I I don't like that one. And the quasi-quarters resetting fouls after 10 minutes, again, I just, I, I don't like it. 
And I don't like the concept of getting rid of the single bonus. I like the the difference where, especially in college, where you know you may not have the best free throw shooter. You foul him, he misses one, you get the ball back. Essentially, you don't need to worry about him missing both. I like that. I don't know what it is. I guess it's the 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 concept of wanting to have progress all the time, but it it's weird. It's weird. You know, I, I don't normally like talking politics on this show, but, you know, I'll, you know I'm going to talk about them in a little bit anyway. But, I'm you know, I'm, I'm very progressive when it comes to politics and when it comes to social aspects. But when it comes to sports, I'm extremely conservative. I want things to stay the way they are. And I'll talk about one sport in particular that has tried to change, but luckily they they have not succeeded all that well, and and is 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 uh, getting pretty crazy now as a result uh, in just a little bit. But I don't like the you know I, I don't like the quasi quarters, um, the the idea of the offensive team declining free throws in the final two minutes in overtime, that also would be very stupid, I feel, because I... I Then if you're winning, you basically have carte blanche. You know, you basically can do... You know, you basically can just take the ball back out Inbound it again, run off a few more seconds. Inbound again, run off a few more seconds without any risk of the other team getting the ball back. Now, I guess theoretically the shot clock would run down, maybe. I don't know. That There are a lot of questions when it comes to that one that I'd have to have answered. Uh, and eliminating the five-second rule. Again, I don't like that one either. I don't like any of these rules, honestly. I I hope they all fail, but I have a feeling that some of them will pass. We'll see. I, I'm hoping that none of them pass, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Florida d- did something smart, finally. They put the start of the NIL back to July 1st in a bill, which is good. But then Georgia proceeds to do something very stupid. And, and you know, this is Georgia we're talking about, the same state that did things that caused them to lose the All-Star game. Uh, they're doing something that's kind of, you know, a lot of people are calling quasi-racist and quasi-socialist, uh, which is very... Um, this is a very paradoxical decision by Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, he signed the NIL bill, but it, it added a stipulation that it allows schools to take up to 75% of the endorsement money that a player makes and redistribute it to other athletes. Luckily for Georgia Bulldog fans, they will not participate in this redistribution. So Bulldogs that make any money will be able to keep all their money. And so 
like I said, I don't like I, I try not to get political on the show, but this one is one where you kind of can't help it. So let me get this straight. When it comes to general Americans and you know trying to help the less fortunate, you don't want wealth distribution. You don't want the 1% to pay their dues. Yet when it comes to sports, when it comes to these athletes who are doing it, then you're all for wealth distribution. Wealth redistribution. That is a very big double standard. And a lot of people are calling them out for the real reason for why they're doing it. The fact that, you know, the players that are making money are of a certain ethnicity. I could I, I could potentially see it, especially considering what happened with the voting rules and all of that. But eh, you make your own decision. But it's definitely not a good look for Georgia. Uh, and literally Bulldogs are saying, nope, we're not doing that, because they know that that would hinder their recruiting. A lot, because if if you're saying, oh, you have to pay, you know, you have to give up 75% of your money uh, to, you know, if you get any endorsements when you come here, that's that's not something players want to do. You know, you talk about, you know, they, they talk about capitalism and they want, you know, a free market. Well then you can't do things like that. It's a paradox. It is a paradox. And it all boils down to one thing. And if you have half a brain, you know what that is. And if you would disagree with me, you want to argue with me on this, call on in. 323-784-9681 is the number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Come back talk about a big story that happened in the NHL this week. That'll be my final talking point. That'll wrap things up for this morning uh, with a half hour left to go on the show. So stick, stay tuned right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Always gotta love that theme. I'm so glad it's coming back soon. 
So now, like I mentioned, NHL. Big, big, big storyline this week. Rangers-Capitals fiasco this week. Started out earlier this week at the beginning of the week in the first matchup between these two teams. Tom Wilson injured Artemi Panarin uh, with a big hit. And then also during a fight was punching at a defenseless Pavel Bushnevich uh, who was down on the ice. If you guys have seen it, if you guys haven't seen it. Um, and, and with the, the Panoran actually was, he kind of picked him up basically based on what it looked like. If you're a wrestling fan, the, the way it looked watching it, it looks like he basically hit him with a package pile driver, which uh, is not very good at all. Not something you want to see uh, on the ice. And then the Buchnevich play, he was punching at him with Buchnevich down and, and protecting his head. If that were a real fight, well, not a real fight, but if that were in MMA, the, the ref would be, you know, getting in front of him, waving it off. And the I'm for one, I'm surprised that the refs didn't do anything. Uh but also even worse, and Wilson has had an it had an, a history with things like this. Wilson has had an it had a history with this. Excuse me. But in spite of that, was not suspended it was, and was only fined a grand total of $5,000. So the Rangers say, okay, if the league's not going to do anything about it, Rangers say, okay, league's not going to do anything about it. We'll take matters into our own hands, which is one of the great things about hockey. Hockey and baseball are the only two sports. Basketball, you see it every now and again. Uh, Football, you see it every now and again, but very rarely. And in basketball and football, it's very much frowned upon. And you get a lot of, you know, suspensions and, you know, fines and all of that if it ever happens. But baseball and hockey, both have tried to curtail it as much as they can. Because they've tried to move away from it, although I disagree with them on it. But baseball with, you know, plunking people and throwing at people and, and the brawls. And hockey with fighting are the two sports that basically police themselves. And now, with a play like this, you'd want the league to take action, obviously. But when they don't, then teams have recourse. And they decided to take matters into their own hands on Wednesday. Wednesday night had over had 100 penalty minutes in just the first period, started off the game with a line brawl. Then on the next uh, face-off, another fight broke out. 
the first time Wilson stepped on the ice, he automatically got decked and and got into a fight. And it was great. And, you know, it was very entertaining. And it was something that you like to see. You know, the, you know, the, the whole, you know, a lot of hockey purists don't like it that that has become the way hockey has been viewed, especially in the U.S., uh, of the whole joke, oh, you know, I went to the fight and a hockey game broke out. Those ki- those kinds of uh, and whatnot that hockey is primarily fighting and, and all of that. And hockey is much more than just fighting, but if you like fights and you want to see it, especially for a game like this, it, it's definitely entertaining, that's for sure. Um, but Rangers did what they needed to do. They took matters into their own hands. And on top of that, they injured Wilson a little bit uh, on that fight. And I don't think he returned for the rest of the game, if I remember correctly. But then, the next day, yesterday, the NHL then finds the Rangers $250,000, which is Five times as much as they find, or actually, uh, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I mean, let me do this, uh, do this math real quick. I'm normally good at math, but on this one, it's, uh, Fifty times they they find the Rangers fifty times as much as they did Wilson criticizing the league for the weak punishment on Wilson. So they 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 find a team fifty times as much as they find the player that was at fault simply for criticizing the league on not doing enough about the player. And I would not be surprised. They didn't say it outright, but I would not at all be surprised if that fine, because it came out yesterday after the game. Even though the Rangers criticized the league about the the, la- the lack of a suspension a couple of days ago. I have a feeling the fine was not just for the criticism. It was for taking matters into their own hands on Wednesday night. This is a really bad look for the league, first off. It sets a really bad precedent where it's basically saying, oh, you can get away with, you know, bad behavior on the ice, but you can't criticize the league. And also, it basically declares open season on the Rangers, I feel. Because now teams are going to say, oh, we can do whatever we want to the Rangers without any consequences. And this is why I will say what the Rangers need to do now, they're going to be like, okay, you want to find us? You want to make you, you want to make us be the bad guys? We'll be the bad guys. We'll just keep on taking matters into our own hands and just, you know, destroy the rest of the league. You know, you know, just destroy the rest of the league physically, destroy the rest of the league, uh, you know, in terms of play, 
and you know may, maybe do a couple of you know uh accidental things around the ice and and I think and, and I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about This is setting up for a very bad precedent and a very bad situation for the league if they don't do anything about it. It's very much it's very much akin to what happened with the Astros. And now the pandemic basically saved their butts because the pandemic uh created such a situation where, you know, a lot of people, you know, it, it, it you know, Something like that suddenly became trivial, and as a result, they they were saved from their just desserts. But besides that, you know the the big talking point last year, prior to everything shutting down and whatnot, when you as we were heading into spring training was. How many times are the Astros going to get plunked? Because every team in the league knew the the league didn't do anything about this. So we have to take matters into our own hands. And that was the, that was the consensus going into the season. Now, obviously, the pandemic curtailed that result. But even then, you still saw it a good bit last year. You see it sometimes this year. But this right here with the Rangers and Capitals. And imagine, here's the other thing, too, that you have to take into consideration. This happened while, I, I forget I forget if there were no fans in the, in the arena or very limited. But either way, it, it certainly wasn't a packed MSG. So the concept that, you know, oh, this, you know, this was bad, it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. But this is a situation where, this is a situation where I have a bad feeling that this is setting up for a bad precedent. And I think all hell's about to break loose with the Rangers and the NHL. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that how this impacts things uh, moving moving forward. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's. Uh, it's been a good show. A few other... Uh... Actually, I take that back. I don't have a few other quick notes, but it's been a great show this morning. Uh, you know, great, great job. Uh, had some great interviews with Blue Bejack and Alex Zeitlow. Always fun talking to those guys. And, you know, Gave some great insight, and like you mentioned earlier, for those of you who are in the Rock Hill area or who 
you know, just are worried about the the state of South Carolina high school athletics in general with the rise of the of charter schools and all of that. It's not going to be the end of of public school athletics. Kids are still going to especially around here. You know, it it's one thing, you know, when when I was in Jersey, you know, everyone in terms of high school you know, if you really were talking about high school athletics, you were primarily talking about Don Bosco and talking about Bergen Catholic and Paramus Catholic and, you know, all of those schools that were in that were uh you were talking about the private schools that the power of you never talked about the public school league. Whereas here in South Carolina, it's primarily the public schools that are the powerhouses. So even if some of the, you know, and you have to take into consideration, even, let's even play which Gray and Oceanside are staying in the SEHSL. So they're still being controlled by the SEHSL rules. So they're very limited on who they can you know, quote-unquote recruit. But even outside of that, you're you're not going... Yeah, some of the top players, the, the tippy-tippy top players who say, oh, I need to, you know, go to a, you know, a sports-centric school in order to get to the next level. They may go. They may go to Legion. I mean, hell, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about it that that makes it even less so worrisome. Those top players to Legion, or who could go to Legion at this point, they were already leaving. They were already saying going to IMG and going to some of the other, you know, essentially what they are now, prep schools. They were already leaving. You know, I I I remember uh I I remember a few years back, uh, you know, you had uh you had DeMonte Capehart who was with Hartsville for his whole uh, high school time until his senior year. And then his senior year went to IMG. So it's not like this is unprecedented. It's going to happen. Players are going to decide to move around. And the, the high schools who can't do that will just have to adapt. Um, you know, and they'll be able to do it. it it's not going to be the end of high school sports. Things, things will be, you know, things will continue the way they have. It's not going to change things all that much. Uh, you know, if, if you really think about it. 
Uh, before I sign off, I'll just run through some of the other. Uh, was talking about um, the the soccer playoffs that started earlier this week. Uh, already in heading into the semifinals. Uh, go down to 3A girls. Powdersville beat West Oak last night 6 nothing. Uh, Woodruff beat, or excuse me, Daniel beat Woodruff three, uh, 4 nothing. Oceanside Collegiate, we were talking about them. Uh, Oceanside Collegiate uh, beat Camden 6-1. And Waccamaw beat Gilbert 4-1. So they, a local team, another local team, moves on to the lower state finals in girls soccer. In 2A, St. Joseph's beat Greenville Tech. Philip Simmons beat Wade Hampton. Christchurch beat Greer Military College. And Southside Christian beat Legion Collegiate. So there, you see, Legion Collegiate can get beaten. Now, a lot of, there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of um, debate about Southside Christian being in one A too, but that that's in that's actually in two A uh, for the girls. On the boys' side, there is no one A uh, for the girls. On the boys' side, uh, the uh, second round is actually tonight. Uh, in five A, you got JL Man against Riverside. Gorman against Blythewood, Chaffin against Wando, and Stratford against Lexington. In 4A, Easley against Eastside, Catalba Ridge against AC Flora, James Island against North Myrtle Beach, and Myrtle Beach against North Augusta. I'll actually go through the game for the four and give you my predictions. JL Man against Riverside. I'm going to take JL Man. They're the home team. Uh, Dorman against Blythewood, I think Dorman wins that one. Happen against Wando, I think Wando wins that one. Uh, and Stratford against Lexington. I think that game's actually going to be pretty close. I think that's going to be the closest out of the four. But I will go with Lexington with a very uh, close win. In 4A, easily against Eastside. I think I'm actually going to take Eastside with the in in the upset. I think Eastside is going to be able to win that one uh, on the road. Catalpa Ridge against AC Flora. I think AC Flora wins that one on the road as well. The upper state's going to be a very interesting mat- battle there. James Island against North Myrtle Beach. I think North Myrtle Beach goes on the road and is able to win that one. And Myrtle Beach and North Augusta. I think I think Myrtle Beach is the only home team. Team that to win uh, this uh, tonight in in four A in three A Ren and Berea. I think Ren wins that one. Uh, actually, I take that back. I think Berea will win that one. Uh, Powdersville against Daniel. I think Daniel will win that one. Bishop England against Swansea. Uh, I think Bishop England wins that one, and Brooklyn Casey against o- Oceanside Collegiate. I think I think uh, Brooklyn Casey will be able to pull off the upset there, even though they're home. I think it's technically an upset with how good Oceanside is. 
In 2A, Christchurch against Columbia. I think Christchurch wins that one. Great Collegiate against St. Joseph's. I Gray wins it. Legion Collegiate against Saluda. Legion, I think, wins that one. And then Andrew Jackson against Philip Simmons. I think Andrew Jackson wins that one. Uh, and then going down to 1A. Going down to 1A, Southside Christian against Denmark Elwire. I think Southside Christian wins it. Ridge Spring Mineta against Dixie. I think Dixie will win that one uh, on the road. Palmetto Scholars against Bridges Prep. I think Palmetto Scholars wins it. Uh, Royal Live, Live Oaks against Bamberg Earhart. I think Bamberg Earhart is able to win that one. So those are my predictions uh, for the second round for the boys' uh, state championship games tonight. Um, you know, softball and baseball quickly approaching uh, their uh, their tournaments. Go through some of the uh, the teams that are already in it for baseball. Hillcrest already made it. Boiling Nation Ford already made it. Actually, Ridge already made it. Berkeley already in. St. James already in. Uh, Sockestee already in Wando, Somerville. So, so those are the teams uh, for 5A. For 4A, Lugga Felgen already in. AC Flora already in, who has been considered the best team in the state for the entire year. Uh, James Island already in. Airport already in. North and North Augusta and Buford already in. Still, the, uh, on the lower state side, the big thing is the one and two spot and gets who gets the one at large bid. In 3A, no one on in the upstate has uh, has clinched yet. Actually, no no one listed in 3A yet. Not sure if they don't have it finalized yet or, or what that is. Uh, in 2A, Landrum has already clinched. Chesney has already clinched. Marion has already clinched. And Latta has already clinched a playoff berth. And then in 1A... The only team that has already clinched in 1A, well, two teams, are both from Region 5, and that's Green Sea Floyd and Lakeview at 1 and 2, respectively. That'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, Lots of great talking points and some... uh, some fun discussions this morning. I'll be back next week. Talk about the uh, end of the season for baseball. Talk about the beginning of the playoffs and definitely, certainly more national news uh, throughout the week. So that'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. 
right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. So long, everyone.